Well, I am Chad. I am the pastor of this church, and again, want to say welcome to church. Uh, I don't always wear a tie, but somebody in our congregation said, are you wearing a tie? I said, probably not. They said, well, if you wear one, I'll wear one. I did, and then they didn't wear one, uh, and so I have a tie on for, for no good reason, I guess, but uh, I want to welcome you again, and, and I want to start this way, and I promise uh, the rest of the sermon won't be as sad as, as the, the subject matter that we just prayed about and what I'm about to say, but uh, sometimes life is it is disappointing. Uh, we all know that, right? You've been disappointed from the time you're very, very, very little. You, you know disappointment, like if your parents say that you're going to do something and you don't. And I think that disappointment can be summarized in some ways by boxes. Uh, for example, what if you were to go to the Apple store and you were to purchase a brand new iPad Air and you were to take it home and you were super excited and you had spent your money and you saved for months and months and months and you were about to purchase or you made the purchase and you got home and you opened it up and as you can guess, there was nothing inside. Now you could go back obviously, but in that single moment, that just that, that one split second, you would be like, no way. I've been waiting to play for, with this thing for months on end. I was pumped. I was gonna spend the rest of the day setting it up and downloading apps and it was going to be incredible and now I'm disappointed. Or how about this? Like, what if, you single ladies, uh, your boyfriend showed up with a box similar to this one and he said, and you've been dating a long time and he's like, hey honey, I've just been meaning to ask you something will you wear this necklace, you know, or, or there was nothing in it? Um, do you like my box? Wouldn't that be disappointing if that happened? I, I actually saw somewhere that there was a guy, and I think it was a friend of mine or something who's, whose girlfriend knew he was going to propose, but he just kept faking it over and over to, to, to create buildup. I think it was a nice person. I don't remember who it was. They might have just been a jerk. Um, and then this one, this might be the worst at all, especially if you're a, a man and you're not... Uh, you know, waiting for somebody to propose. Like, what if you got a box of donuts, and this smells, I literally took it out of the trash out back because I forgot a pizza box. Uh, and what if you, you just, they handed you this box and you had ordered a dozen donuts and they were Krispy Kreme, Donut Land's pretty good too, and Tualatin, it outlived Donut King or whatever used to be across the street. But, and, you, and you could smell it and breathe it and then you opened it up and there were no donuts. Wouldn't that just crush you? In fact, when I brought this box in from the trash, I'm pretty sure that at least one person that was helping set up this morning was like, he brought donuts. And, and there was no donuts because I literally pulled it out of the trash recycling out there. And, and this is the way that I think life is sometimes. I think life is full of boxes that we believe we are going to look in and we are going to find the joy that we all long for. And we look in these different boxes. And uh, I mean, the most obvious of boxes is like this, because this just stands out when people search it, like drugs, right? And so certain people, because they don't feel any sense of joy in their lives, they turn to alcohol or other drugs in order to to figure out, uh, or to try to find, I should say, joy. And they open up this box and, and, and they discover quickly that it doesn't work. And uh, another thing that I think 
people search in is, is romance. Can you see that one behind the cross? Uh, I think people think uh, wrongly that if they have the right girlfriend or the right boyfriend, uh, if they just look in the right romantic box, if they were to get married, then everything would be joyful for them and they'll spend the rest of their lives smiling and laughing and everything is going to be great. Uh, a lot of people, and this is, I, I would call an epidemic in our culture, a lot of people look at, for, at entertainment and, and they just constantly are trying to find their joy in being entertained. Um, but I would point out that it rains at Disneyland and sometimes the Blazers lose. And, and so they, they constantly uh, are not as satisfied as they would like to be with entertainment. Uh, another box that a lot of people uh, look for joy in, and almost our culture tells you to look for joy in, inside of this box, and that is the box of success. Like whether that be financial success or you know being cool or, or, or having uh, popularity or fame or fortune or you know all those things. If you're successful, our, our country tells you, then, then you're gonna have joy. And, uh, and the last one is stuff like that iPad over there and donuts and, uh, you know, and sometimes we think if I just got that car or I just got that new PlayStation or if I just had that house, then I'll find joy. And, and the big thing about all of these boxes is, is that they are not filled with joy. And we all know that, right? Because some of you are very successful and you're like, man, the more successful I become, the more stress it adds to my life to continue to be successful. And I have more people now that are underneath me and I need to please them. And all success has really brought me is, is stress. Uh, you know, some, uh, you, you're, uh, where's this other one here? Uh, you, you get the newest thing and then what do you, you know this already. Apple is a whole business created on this. You need the next new thing, right? I mean, just one thing after another. And after you've had the original iPad, then like two years later, you're like, man, this thing's terrible, you know? And, and you were so excited when you first opened it. And, uh, and entertainment, I mean, that always ends. You get to the end of your book series and Harry Potter finally dies. And uh, I'm just not a Harry Potter fan. Um, that was for my wife more than the rest of you. Um, and, and romance, I mean, if you've been married long enough, then you know that that you better find your joy outside of your spouse because sometimes they don't bring any of it, you know, and it doesn't work. And, and drugs, we know that immediately after uh, drugs give you joy, they're going to take you back down, and that's the problem with drugs. You need more and more, and eventually the high runs out and the buzz is gone. And, and so we know, this is what we know. In all of these things, in every one of them, we have a mixture we have a mixture of filling. It's just kind of day-to-day stuff. You go through the motions. It's just part of your life. There's some joy in here. And then there's also some bad. In all of these things, there are fillers, just day-to-day stuff. We go through the motions. It's a part of life. It's just what I do. There's a little bit of joy. And then there's problems with almost all of these. You have fights with your spouses. Your job can be terrible. Drugs will always ruin you. Uh, The stuff breaks, and then you spend four hours fixing it, and you're frustrated. And so no matter what we deal with in life, it just seems to be a mixture of bad, filling, and, and hopefully, if we're lucky, small amounts of joy. And the truth is that for many that lived 2,000 years ago, specifically a band of about 12 men and some women, and then maybe a greater band of about 70 men, uh, Jesus was just a box 
filled with the same old stuff. Because these men and women that lived a couple thousand years ago gave all of this up for the single box of Jesus. And they followed him around for years, going where he would go, being homeless with him, being persecuted with him, having people mad at them with him, but saying, this is where I'm finding true joy in Jesus. And then after about three years, something happened. They watched from a distance as Jesus was nailed to a cross where he died and then he was placed into a grave. And you want to know what happened to all of them, every single one of them? They were destroyed. All semblance of joy was erased from their lives because they had, they had given it all up. They had said, I can't find true joy in this. It's just filler and bad and a little bit of joy. But this, this I find joy in. Jesus, I find joy in. And, and I'm sure that most of them couldn't even understand it. They're like, so I'm following around a carpenter and we're walking around from city to city where we tell people that, that the kingdom of God is upon them, which they didn't really fully grasp or understand. And, and they saw people just totally rejecting them and people would follow them for a little bit and then turn their backs on, on Jesus and them. And, and yet, despite all of it, this, this band of people found total joy in Jesus and then he was nailed to a cross, he was crucified and he died and he was put into a grave and none of them thought, I know it's Easter, but not a single one of them thought, oh, he's gonna get out in three days. They just thought that their joy had been completely taken away. There's this story in John chapter 20 that picks up from that moment of joylessness and it carries us kind of, to the end in some ways. And, and I want to share that story with you today because I think that story shows us the joy that Jesus can bring. And here's how it begins in John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. Mary Magdalene loved Jesus. She was one of Jesus' most faithful followers. While Jesus hung on the cross and all the men scattered saying, we better get out of here or we're gonna die too, Mary Magdalene stood there and watched as he breathed his last breath. She refused to go away. It's, uh, tradition tells us that Mary Magdalene was a, a prostitute or, or a, a, a woman who got around and, and, and Jesus forgave her of her sins and from that moment on, she just loved, loved, loved Jesus. And that's demonstrated here because the rest of the people who come to see Jesus at his burial site after he had died, they all show up when it's light. Another gospel tells us that. But Mary Magdalene, before it's even light, as soon as it, it Passover is over and she's allowed to go there in the Jewish ritualistic law, she heads to the tomb to take care of his body, to be there where he is because she knows that while her hope is gone, the last place she found it was in Jesus and she just wants to be near him. So Mary Magdalene shows up and this crazy thing happens. She went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She's like, what is happening and I want you to notice what happens next because we forget about this because we live after the original, the first Easter. Notice this in verse two. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple 
the one Jesus loved. And notice what she said. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Mary Magdalene has no joy left. She's hopeless. The only thought in her mind when she sees that tomb with the stone rolled away, which by the way was abnormal for the Roman people, they didn't, they didn't put a, a stone in front of tombs, but because they didn't want the body to be, of Jesus to be stolen because he was a famous figure, and there were, this is weird, but there were thieves who would steal bodies, and because they knew he was such a high profile figure, they sealed this tomb, and she sees it open, and, and her first thought is not like, Woohoo, man. Resurrection, we're gonna celebrate. Let's sing. My Redeemer lives. She runs to Peter and to the disciple that Jesus loved. And she says, somebody's stolen the body. Somebody either stole it for a profit to make money or, or somebody, this is what she would have thought, or somebody stole it uh, in, in order to mutilate the body further to teach all of the disciples a lesson about following somebody that claims to be king that isn't the Roman emperor. And it's interesting that she tells this to Peter. Peter was also one of Jesus' closest followers. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. There are miracles that are recorded for us in the Bible by Jesus where only three guys were taken and, and one of those guys was Peter. Almost every time, not almost every time. Uh, Peter was in fact the person that Jesus chose to build his church on. He's the first leader of the church. The, we still go to church and Peter was the first leader of like the church and not just like a church, but the church so he's a pretty important figure and Mary runs to him says they've stolen the body into the disciple that Jesus loved who is nameless but apparently really loved Jesus and thought that he was loved by Jesus too and this is what happens and it's pretty incredible to watch their reaction. Verses three through 10. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at, in it at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. We don't know what they were thinking. We can only see what they did. And what they did is they started running for the tomb. They just started running. It's a foot race. I mean, that's how it's described. It's a funny scene. And we often, because we, we think the Bible is just like this giant set of rules, sometimes we miss the humor in the Bible and there's a lot of it there. Uh, but, but here, Simon and the disciple that Jesus loved, they want to get to the tomb and they are just sprinting to get there. And Peter, we know this from tradition and it seems this way as you read the Bible, was an older man. And so you can just picture him coming along behind like, I got to keep up, I got to keep up. And he's winded and, and he gets there second but there's this foot race to the tomb and here's what I think I think that that they had just just uh, this hope this little glimmer this idea that maybe 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 Jesus had gotten out of the grave and they knew that Jesus was the one who had brought them joy like none of this stuff could ever have brought them and so they said if there is a, a sliver of hope 
If there is any amount of hope, if there is, if there is any, any conceivable idea that he got out of the grave, then I want to go check it out as fast as I can and I'll beat you there. Doesn't tell us that Peter believes immediately, but one of them walks in and believes. And here's my question. It's just a question for you. What are you running towards in life? We're Americans, and so we're all running. I mean, we all metaphorically are just all the time moving, moving, moving. I'm in a hurry to get things done. I rush and rush, rush until life's no fun. There's a whole song about it. And, and we are all running. And, and my question, just a simple question. I'm not going to give you an answer yet on what you should be running towards, but just the question is, what are you running towards? And when you get to that thing, will it bring you complete joy or will it just be a box full of bad and filling in a little bit of joy? Because these disciples run towards the empty tomb and, and they run there, I think, because they know that if, if Jesus got out of the grave, then it could be complete joy for them. So they run, they get there, they move on. And, and there's this other part that I want you to pay attention to, and that is that the disciple whom Jesus loved, described that way, stands outside of the tomb. And I'm guessing that he is scared to go inside of the tomb. Maybe he was scared of uh, seeing a dead body that had been decomposing for three days. Perhaps he was more familiar with death than Peter was, and so he just didn't want to be around it again. And he stands at the outside of this tomb questioning whether or not he should go in. And I want to say, and, and I'll push this a little harder in a minute, but I want to say that this morning some of you stand on the precipice of finding true joy. In fact, I would say that, that all of you who are not Christians and have shown up here today because church is an Easter thing to do or whatever the reason, somebody invited you and you wanted to oblige, all of you stand at the precipice of finding complete joy. The question is, will you overcome your fears in order to take a look at the thing that might bring you that joy? Here's this disciple, stands at the ed edge of a tomb. You'd be scared too, right? I mean, that's a scary place and we know it's empty because we sang about it already. But, but here's this tomb and you're thinking, what am I gonna see when I get in there? I mean, how gross is this gonna be? Uh, many years ago, I was a summer missionary and uh, it was a crazy scenario. I was going to be in Idaho for two months and I had been there for one week had met this other family that was missionaries full-time in southeast Idaho where there's not a lot of Christian churches and uh, had met them and a week later their son gets in a car accident just after graduating from high school and dies. It changed the whole mission trip, I can tell you that, but I remember this. I remember that they called Ken, the pastor that I was working with over there because they were good friends, said, uh, Philip has died. Uh, can you come? We drove, we came. I remember going into the hospital and then we were standing outside of the door where their son's dead body lay and I remember just like, you know, I'm about to take this step into this room and I don't know what I'll see. I don't know what 
the reaction of the people is going to be. I hardly know these people. It was a very fearful moment. And here's this disciple that Jesus loved. And he stands and he goes, I don't know what I'm going to see. And I think it represents some of you here this morning. If I take a step towards joy, I don't know what it's going to do to my life. You might fear family conflict. I'm well aware that to become a Christian causes family conflict for many people. You might fear losing friends. I've known people who who don't dive into joy, the joy that Jesus brings, because they are, in fact, scared of not doing the things they used to do and then losing friends. When I got serious about Jesus, I can tell you this, I had a lot of my friends, very close friends who are still friends to this day, who said over and over and over again, we miss the old Chad. We miss the old Chad. We miss the old Chad. And some of you fear that that your friends will miss the old you and they will reject and abandon you. Some of you fear failure. You're like, if I try another box and try to find joy in another box, then maybe it'll end up just like my career or my marriage or those drugs or that iPad or whatever. I mean, maybe it'll end up just like those things and it will fail me and I don't want to get my hopes up again. And maybe some of you fear just being wrong for a long time. And you're like, no, 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 I'll keep working at my job. I'll keep working at at making this marriage absolutely perfect. And if I can just keep working and keep working and working, I'll be proved right that this was really the box that contained eternal joy. And that's what the disciple loved. He faced the fears in a similar way. Like what happens when I step in here? The story continues in 11 through 18. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. She didn't believe Jesus had gotten out of the grave. All of her hope was gone. She was distraught. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away. I think they could have just, she could have just said, they've taken away my joy. They've taken away my joy. And I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things. What an incredibly powerful scene. Here's this woman who had given everything who had completely changed her life in order to follow this Jesus that she loved. And now she sits outside of his tomb thinking, and this is what we do, right? Being next to his dead body will provide me just a little bit of the joy that he used to give me. I can remember old times. I can think about the things we've been through. I can think about the things he said. I'll just get a little bit of that joy back if I could find his body. And when the body's not there, she just cries. She cries and cries and cries and cries and cries. And Jesus looks at her and she doesn't recognize him. And he asks her, who are you looking for? And I'll ask again, just like the running question, what are you looking for? 
And if you find it, will it bring you true joy? Or will it just bring you a mixture of filling and bad and some joy? If you find what you're looking for, will it bring you the joy that you so desperately long for? Because in your life, you know this and I know this, we all are looking for joy, complete We are not looking for a bunch of filler. We are not looking for a bunch of bad things to happen to us. We don't want more stresses, right? Nobody's seeking that here this morning. We all want joy that goes above and beyond everything that we might face. And so again, what are you looking for? And if you find it, will it bring joy? But then Jesus looks at her and he calls her name, Mary. And she turns around, she recognizes Jesus. She calls him teacher, she falls at his feet, probably grabbing on according to this language. And I believe, this is what I believe with all my heart, that this morning, Jesus is calling some of your names. I believe that if you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, then Jesus is calling your name and he's brought you here this morning. I believe for our people who will listen online, which will be a pretty good amount this morning, that, uh, that you're listening online because Jesus is calling your name. I think Jesus is just like, hey, James, Mary, John, Ashley, Kelly, Robert, Jessica, Michael, Elizabeth, Bill, Jennifer, David, Maria, Jacob, Susan, Charles, Megan, Joe, Brittany, Tom. And when you hear it, not audibly, but in your soul, you have a decision to make. You have a decision. You can keep looking at an empty tomb, a box that is full of nothing good, or you can turn around and embrace Jesus. When Jesus calls our name, he doesn't take away our decision. He does not take away our decision. He calls our name and then lets us decide if we're gonna keep staring at all the boxes that have never fulfilled us and never brought us the joy that we desire, or if we're gonna turn around and face him and embrace him. And I do believe that this morning Jesus is calling some of your names. And the question is, why? Why would, you, why would you say yes? Why turn around? Because at least there's some joy in this and maybe you don't know Jesus at all and you're like, what's gonna happen? What does it change? What does it matter? Why should I give it? Why should I be willing to lose friends? Why should I be willing to give up fun? Why should I be willing to face my fears in order to embrace this Jesus, a man who died and then rose again a couple of thousand years ago? And I think the answer is in John 20, 19 through 20 as the story continues on the evening of that first day of the week. A week later, A week later when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then notice this sentence. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw Jesus. These people are scared. They're scared to death because they think that they're going to be killed. And they heard rumors now that Jesus had gotten out of the grave, but they had not believed it for themselves. And so they sit literally, literally huddled inside a room with the doors locked, worrying about what's going to happen to them. 
And this is like so many of us. We all just kind of huddle in our souls, metaphorically, scared. I know a lot of you fear death. I know a lot of you fear the election. I know that a lot of you fear being disliked. Deep, you fear it, like you want every person to like you. I know a lot of people fear here not being successful. Like, what if I'm seen as a failure and you fear it deep inside yourself? These are not fears like spiders. These are fears deep in your soul in places where people do not look. Some of you fear people seeing you for who you really are. And you mask up your true self all the time, worried that somebody will get a glimpse of who you actually are and they won't like you and and you'll be seen for who you are. And these disciples are huddled there in fear and Jesus shows up and he says, first thing, first thing out of his mouth is peace be with you. Peace in in Jewish culture, shalom, you've heard that word, is is a word that means like internal well-being, like the end of strife altogether. And it's as if Jesus in that moment is like, hey guys, you don't have anything to fear anymore because I got out of the grave And the disciples see him. And you know, that's an easy thing for Jesus to say. But they see him and they are overjoyed. And it completely changes their lives. Do you know why you sit here this morning? You sit in this church, in this school, because these disciples experience such incredible joy that they went around to the known world saying, hey, I know a guy named Jesus who died on a cross and you know why he did it? He did it for your sins. He did it because you're sinful and you're broken and, and because you do things that you know are inherently wrong and he did it for all of your regrets and all of the things that you feel guilty about. He was nailed to a cross for that. And oh, by the way, the story doesn't stop there because when that happened, we were all still sad, but he also got out of the grave three days later and we still have such tremendous joy that you can beat us up you can hurt us you can arrest us you can steal from us you can do whatever you want to us but my joy in Jesus is greater than all the joy that the world ever brought me before I encountered that resurrected savior and you sit in church this morning because their joy was so incredible that they didn't care what happened to them they had to tell everybody else because that joy spilled forth from their souls onto Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people around the known world. In John 16, 22, here's what Jesus says to them. Before he dies and rises again, he says, So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice. And notice this, and no one will take away your joy. And you go, well, that's easy to say. Was it real? But there's this other story in Acts chapter five where these same men who had encountered the resurrected Jesus who had responded to their names and said, I'll set aside all fear for the joy that you bring because I know the joy that you can bring and it's better than anything else I could ever have experienced in any of these other boxes. These same men in Acts five, they are beat up for telling people that Jesus had died for their sins and and risen again on the third day. They're beat up for it. And here's what we read. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name that is Jesus. Their fear and sadness at the moment they encountered a resurrected Savior were replaced by peace and joy 
And I want to say this morning that what brought them great joy was not the empty tomb, but a resurrected Savior. The empty tomb to them was just this. It was a box that they thought maybe they could find a little bit of comfort in. And they saw it was empty, but they were still hurt and they were still broken and they still didn't know what to think. But when they saw the resurrected Savior, they had joy that was eternal. It never ended until they died. Some of them the most gruesome, horrible deaths you can imagine, being unwilling to sacrifice their Jesus because of the joy that he had brought to them. And today, I think the Easter message, the story of Jesus' resurrection is more important than any other time, at least in my life. I can't speak for the rest of history because, and you know this already, we live in a peaceless, joyless society. I mean, just turn on the news, just get on your web browser and get on your Facebook page and everybody all the time is sad and hurt and angry and fearful and hopeless. You know it. And the Easter story declares that despite all of it, we can have joy. And I just wrote down why. I just, just quickly, this for me, like personally, and there's more stuff than this, and this is, this is theologically accurate, but it's not theology. This is just, I wrote this in like, like two minutes. Like, why do I have joy knowing that Jesus got out of the grave? Why is that actually real for me? And it's like this, I, I have forgiveness for all the stupid stuff that I have done and, and do and all of that. I have hope. I have love even when everybody else is mean to me. I have grace. I have mercy. I have to look forward to. I have eternal life. I have the thought of seeing my great grandma again who I loved like a mother. I have hope of seeing my dog who died and, and I've been sad about that for a year now almost again in heaven. I have a chance to beat sin because I'm a failed, flawed human being that does a lot of stuff but knowing that Jesus got out of the grave and has given me his Holy Spirit, it gives me a chance to actually be a great guy and to do nice things more often than I do. It means that I'm absolutely never alone. It's given me purpose in my life and even more than purpose, it's given me worth and value to know that that Jesus died on a cross and got out of a grave for me, not just for the world, but for me, it gives me worth and value. It gives me a meaningful life. It gives me an eternal solution to pain, suffering, hurt, and, and all the bad stuff that happens. And when you look around the world and you see the tragedies like we already talked about in Brussels this morning, when you see all that, don't you just feel like nothing can ever be done about it? Well, Jesus got out of the grave so that in eternity, we don't have to deal with all that stuff anymore because as we talked about last week there will be no more pain no more suffering no more tears I have a heavenly father and you guys who go to this church know that I have a great dad on this earth but he is not perfect dad and in heaven I have a perfect dad who provides me with love and he cares about me and he guides me and he shows me what I ought to do and what I ought not to do and he brings me reconciliation with others because I'm like, man, Jesus died and rose again and so therefore no matter what they've done to me, I need to be sorry towards them because look at the hope I have and the only reason that I have the relationships I have is because Jesus got out of a grave and I believe that it, it may be only in eternity, but it gives us a solution to the racism and the sexism and the violence and the wars that exist because if people would just follow the resurrected Savior and find the joy that he brings, then they would be nice. They would be nice to others. And man, the people that Jesus shows up to first had so much to gain by him getting out of the grave. 
I mean, Mary, if it's true, was a prostitute. But we actually know historically that Jesus was told to have, have taken seven demons out of her. Can you imagine? I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that's like. I've seen some scary movies and it doesn't seem good. And then seven demons come out of her, you know? And, and then she's like, joy, it's gone. Joy eternal. And Peter, I mean, at the very last moments as Jesus was about to be nailed to a cross, he rejected his best friend and said, I don't even know the guy. Three times, I don't even know the guy. And then Jesus turns in the midst of being arrested and beaten and mocked. He turns, he looks right in the eyes of Peter. And Peter thinks he's dead forever and I'll never, and we know this sorrow, some of us, I'll never be able to tell him how I really feel about him. And then Jesus gets out of the grave and he has joy forever. All of you have something magnificent to gain from Jesus. And the question is this. This is the simple question for this Easter. Will you keep running and searching for things that will only bring you filler, bad, and a little bit of joy? Or will you turn and embrace a resurrected Savior? And this is what I promise you. This is not just from the Bible. This is, this is me and my life. If you embrace a resurrected Savior... He's probably not going to bring any joy to drugs, uh, but the rest of these things, he won't take away the filler. You'll still have to do your daily task, and he's not going to take away all the bad until he comes again, but all these things will have a chance to be filled, except for success, huh? <laughs> with joy. You see, you come here today, and I want you to know that that you should become a Christian because Jesus died for your sins and you need forgiveness for those sins. But I also want you to become a Christian because if you become a Christian, if you listen to the call of your name and you turn and you embrace Jesus, it will bring you eternal joy. And so I want to just really quickly, and then I'm done, talk to, to three different groups of people here this morning. And, and when I pray, I'm going to ask you to put your hands up if you fall into one of these three categories. And, and the first is you who are Christians here this morning. Some of you and Christians throughout our country have forgotten that we embrace a religion of joy. We are a religion of Easter. And we act like Jesus so often is still hanging on a cross. We're just crying in front of his tomb. At least we got the tomb and we're like, I'm near Jesus. But we forget and act like he never got out of the grave at all. And some of you here this morning, are still trying to find joy in these boxes, even though you're Christians. And this morning, what I'm asking you to do is say, okay, okay, okay. I'm gonna turn around and I'm gonna embrace Jesus because that's where true joy comes from. And I'm gonna leave this place this morning. I'm gonna leave this place this morning celebrating no matter what happens because of all the forgiveness and all the love and all the hope and all the peace that he has brought already into my life. There's another group here and, and you're not Christians but you weren't that impressed by my sermon. And you're like, you know, that all sounds very nice, but I don't know. And here's my request for you. Don't stand outside of the tomb, outside of the precipice of hope, but actually take a step to explore whether or not this Jesus thing is real. 
I'm not asking you to cry and move up to the front of the stage this morning. I'm simply asking that, that a couple of things, you'll come back here next week as we talk more about Jesus and, and how much we love Jesus and how overjoyed we are by Jesus and how that Jesus ought to spread around the entire world. Uh, maybe it just means picking up a Bible when you leave this place and reading it. And you can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can read about this Jesus character and the book of Acts, and you can see where this wonderful, incredible joy took these disciples and, and how much they did because they, they felt that joy of Jesus. You can, you can call me and, and you can say, hey, Chad, that sounds great. I want that joy. My whole life I've been trying to find joy in all these other things, but, but I, I, you know, I'd like to have the joy of Jesus, but I, I don't know, and, and I would love to talk to you about that and tell you why I believe it, why I have accepted Jesus and responded to the call of my name. And so some of you will fit into this second group. You're not a Christian. You don't want to become a Christian this morning. I'm okay with that. But, but you're like, I'm interested in that joy right there. And, and I want to experience that joy. And so I'm, I'm not going to let my fear stand in the way. I'm just going to take a step into the tomb and say, is it real? And then the last group is this. You go, wait a minute, I already believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's why I came on Easter, but, but I've never really turned and embraced Jesus. I've heard the call of his name. I believe in an empty tomb, but, but I, I have never encountered a resurrected savior because I've refused to turn around. I've refused to repent of my sins that he died for on a cross. I've refused to embrace him as my Lord and Savior. And some of you this morning, I think you need to put your hands up when I, when I offer in just a few moments. And you need to put your hands up because you, you just want to give your life to Jesus this morning. And you're sick of trying to find joy in all this stuff. All these, these boxes that sometimes are empty and sometimes just have filler and bad. And you need to give yourself to Jesus fully. And so I'm gonna ask right now, actually wait, so here's, here's the other request. So I'm gonna ask you to put your hand up and then in those cards in front of you, uh, in the boxes, the blue boxes in front of you, there are cards. And, and if you put your hand up, and this is just slightly harder, like I said, I'm not gonna make you or ask you to come forward, which is a big courageous moment, but I'm gonna ask you to have a little courage. And all you're gonna do is, is the offer, uh, excuse me, is, is communion passes to you this morning. And, and as you think about what Jesus has called you to this morning and, and the joy that, that he offers, I just want you to jot on there the reason that you raised your hand right before I prayed for you. And, and you just jot it on there. Maybe it's because you're like, I'm a Christian and I need joy. Maybe it's because you're, you're a non, not a Christian and, and you're like, I wanna explore that joy or maybe it's because you're giving your life to Jesus. And we write it there, put your name down and, and if it needs prayer or, or a follow-up, then you can put your phone number or whatever, but uh, that's totally up to you on one of those cards right in front of you. And so uh, if you put your hand up in just a moment, which I believe you're going to do because you have the courage to do it and because you want joy, uh, then I want you to also put one of those cards in the offering basket at the end of service. Can you do that? So please bow your heads, all of you. And if you fall into one of those three categories, will you just put your hand up for me? That you need the joy of Jesus and you have been rejecting the joy of Jesus or, or you are a, a, not a Christian and you just keep them up for a second, please. Nobody's looking. Uh, just keep them up and, and you're not a Christian and you wanna explore Jesus or, or you are uh, not a Christian and you wanna give your life to Jesus. All right, will you put those down? God, I pray for those people specifically, but every person in front of me and those who will listen online. And I pray, God, that they would experience on a daily basis the incredible joy that a resurrected Savior can bring to us. 
And I know, Lord, this is what I know because I'm a person that deals with my own struggles and fears and failures and sins, God, that these, these boxes, what they represent on my left, Lord, are so tempting, and, and they lie to us. If a box can lie, Lord, they lie to us, and they tell us that, that we'll find joy in them. And, and, and some of us, not me, God, but some people that I'm looking at will try to find joy in one box after another, God, and I pray that this morning would be the moment when they would turn their eyes to you, the resurrected Savior, and they would remember how much you suffered on the cross and that you got out of the grave so that they could have an overjoy. Jesus, tomorrow's Monday, and I pray for these people whose hands went up, and I pray, God, that when Monday comes, they would keep experiencing your joy, knowing that it won't take away all pain and suffering, knowing that there will still be filler, that they have to continue to go to work and all that, but knowing that in all of it, it can be surrounded, it can be covered by the joy that you, the resurrected, eternal Savior, brings to us, Lord. And I pray, God, for those who even didn't put their hands up. Maybe they were scared. Maybe, God, it's just sinking in right now. Oh, wait, God was calling my name this morning. Whatever it might be, God, I pray that you would touch their hearts and you would, God, bring us all joy. God, I speak personally when I say that this life would be filled with nothing good if I had not encountered you out of the grave. And so I thank you for what you've done for me and what you've done for us. And I pray these things in your wonderful, precious name. Amen.